And happy Sunday before Thanksgiving, everyone. I remember being in Uganda here, oh, it's about five years ago, and Joseph uh, Kibidiji, who was actually here uh, a few uh, weeks ago, a couple months ago now, was trying to share. We we're getting ready to eat a meal, and we we're in the front yard of this house. He was trying to share with all these Ugandan uh, brothers what it was like to eat Thanksgiving in the United States. And, uh, and uh, he, the way he would describe it, it was like we did an eternal marathon eating thing. And, you know, and they, after he ate this, and they ate this, they ate this, then they eat this. And, and all the Ugandans were going, no, no, their eyes were this big. And the way to hear it described, I was just rolling just because it, it looked like we were just like the, like the, you know, the gluttons of Rome or something, and this, these economists couldn't believe that a person could eat so much. And, uh, but we will. <laughs> and, and we do. We do eat a lot. And of course, uh, as I said, I don't eat until I'm full. I, I eat until I'm tired. <laughs> I, I used to be able to actually live that out when I was younger, but I find lately it's just that I don't digest things as well. How many of you are over 60? Okay, just counsel me. Is that, was that, was that some stuff I got to look forward to? Is things don't quite digest as well as they do? You know, the, the hubcaps really do fall off the car, don't they? <laughs> they really do. Well, we're going to address in this, this Thanksgiving season, and uh, we're going to address the declaration of Scripture today that uh, you are blessed, whether you... Uh, appreciate it or not, that you right now, where you're at in life, no matter what's going on circumstantially, financially, health-wise, whatever, that you are absolutely blessed. I have found as a pastor, and I have pastored now, I'm 62 now, I've really been in just full-time capacity pastoring since I was 33, so I'm getting up there at least a good, what is that, 28 years of, of pastoring there. 10 years of Christian education, volunteering as a youth pastor and everything else for prior to that. So I've been in ministry a, a long time, been in thousands of conferences and counseling appointments and everything else with people. And I have found that there's a lot of people who look at their problems and, and on a scale of one to 10, in reality, their problem's about a one. But the way they're reacting and perceiving and responding to it, you would think it was a nine or a 10. And they kind of live in that, and, they, and, and as a result, they, they become people who feel like they're unjustly treated all the time, they hold grudges, they're, they live a life of pettiness. You remember when you said that on that day? Well, no, I can't even remember that year, you know, and uh, they're just rehearsing things, and they're caught up in things, and, and they're making fights over everything, and they feel bad about every little thing, and they murmur and criticize, and and they're just completely, completely ungrateful. You know, I haven't talked much, you know, with this church over the years about my dad. My dad really wasn't around too much in, in my life. But there was a few things about my, my dad that I think has stuck with me and, and, and really did impact me. And he really excelled in, in certain areas. Well, there's two phrases my dad lived by. One, there's no excuses. So it doesn't matter if you start dumping, you know, your heart out, what you're going through. He would just stop you. No excuses. No, just no excuses. Second was no regrets. I watched my dad go from riches to rags. And I would kind of rehearse him where he could have made investments different. He'd stop me. He said, no regrets. No regrets. 
He didn't sit around and lick his wounds. He didn't, you know, think about what went wrong or how people ripped him off or how life ripped him off. He just moved forward in life. He just had that attitude, that optimism, and, and that attitude that, you know, we can make this work. I remember when, uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, I came home from school, and he was home. And first, my dad wasn't around the house, never came home a lot, just didn't live with us mostly. But if he did, it would be late at night, and he'd be drunk. But this day I came home, my dad was home, like three in the afternoon on a school day. And he had just lost his job. And he was at the table, and he was doing something that only those of us who grew up in the 50s and the 60s and the early 70s remember. He was licking blue chip stamps into a book. How many of you guys remember the blue chip stamps? Now, you're dating yourself. If you, if you raised your hand, you know you're not a millennial. Blue chip stamps was a program most grocery stores, pharmacies, and gas stations had that you bought so much product, you'd get, it'd be like coupons. You got so many blue chip stamps. They had, what's the other one? They had the green stamps. What is it? Green stamps. S&H green stamps. There you go. S&H green stamps. And you lick them and you put them in a book. You fill up a book and you can buy so many products that they had in their catalog on that. Or you could also cash it in for, for money. It was worth money. And so here I am, I come home, my dad lost his job, and he's just kind of humming along, and he's, he's licking, you know, the blue chip stamps, putting them in the book, lost his job, and he's taking us out to eat. He's going to take the blue chip stamps, and he's going to go cash them in at the store. I remember, I, remember, I remember vividly, we drive into the fort, my dad comes out with a cash, and we went, and my favorite restaurant, actually, I got a, they had the best chili burgers in, around, and uh, it was in Englewood, California, and, and french fries, and milkshake, and everything else all celebrating the loss of my dad's job. That would be my dad. He just would live life that way. Wouldn't regret, wouldn't keep a sense of humor wherever he would be. And uh, I remember I took Annalise with me to a rest home, a skilled nursing center he was in because he had a stroke. He spent the last two years of his life in a rest home. Of course, at a rest home, there's people who are you know, at the last ages of their life, and some of them, because of brain issues, uh, have some really bizarre behavior. So out in the hallway, we were in a little chapel service, and this, 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 this patient got, ah! She started screaming. My dad leaned over to Annalise and said, she's trying to escape. Anyway, but <laughs> he was just that type of a guy. He, he just had a way of, regardless of the status of life, he kept his humor, he kept his chin up, we can prevail, we'll move forward, and uh, I, I've adopted a lot of that into my life, I think genetically, if nothing more. But we are, the Bible says and, and that we are blessed people. You are blessed for two things I'll just focus today. The first, I'm not coming from a biblical basis, I'm going from a, just a factual basis. You are blessed because you live in the United States of America. Now, I'm going to share something with you. I know that there's a lot of political talk, and we can we can get into discussions that in the United States of America, the discrepancy of wealth between the haves and the have-nots, that's what they would say, is large. I mean, the discrepancy between one segment of population to another is large. In fact, I'll just say to you, it's probably the largest discrepancy in the world. However, what people don't talk about in this is that five, our bottom 5% of our poor in the United States of America, live above, financially, 68% of the population of the world. 
even in places in Europe. So our poor, yes, there's a discrepancy, but they live a quality of life better than 68% of the people of the earth. They live the same quality of life, if not better, than ten, the top 10% of Mexico. They live a better, if not the same quality of life as the top 10% in Portugal, and they live the same quality of life. If you take services and support and education and you know, access to transportation and quality food and these types of things, they live the same as the top 10% of the population of Russia. So what's happening, yes, wealth is vast, but it seems that the system is pulling, is pulling, is pulling the bottom up. To be here in the United States is a blessing. It's a blessing because of our type of government and justice. It's a blessing because of our land. I think we possess 80% of the world's resources. I mean, this is a, this is a rich place. This is a place where people can move forward. There's a lot of debate over immigration, a lot of talk. I'm not here to make a statement. But do you blame them? Do you blame someone getting on a boat, risking their life in the Caribbean, running across the border? trying to find a place here, just for the basis that they just want to improve their life. We are the richest nation in the world. Now, our government's not rich. We're $22 trillion in debt. But the wealth of our nation belongs to the populace of the people. We are wealthy. And the poorest of us live better than almost 70% of the people of the earth. This is a great place to be. You could live in Ethiopia where many women have to walk four to five miles a day a day, just to get water for their family. You could live in Ethiopia. You could live in North Korea where if you own a Bible, it could cost you execution or you could be forced into a labor camp. You could live in North Korea. You could live in Pakistan that's had 232, 232 terrorist attacks since 2014. We could, we could live in Pakistan. We could live in Egypt where if you go on Facebook and you like somebody post a, a, a Christian-favored theme, it could cost you six years in prison. You can live in Cuba where the average, the, the, one of the, the average workers, a street, a street sweeper, makes 19 U.S. dollars a month. Now, you could improve it by becoming a brain surgeon. A brain surgeon in Cuba makes $22 a month. Brain surgeon. You could live in Cuba. Or you could live in Denmark. I want to go to Denmark. Denmark's cool. You know, in Denmark, you're not allowed to name your baby anything you want. You have to only give them a name on the books. You have to give them a name that's been given by a government list of, of permitted names to name your child in Denmark. See, sometimes we live so much in America that we don't understand what we have. I know we vote different, we view things different, but I'm just talking to all of us as a people. We don't realize what we have. The services that we have, the quality of services that we have, the support we have, the education we have. 
the richness of the soil and the richness of resources we have and, and what a quality of life all of us, all of us have. We're, we're a blessed, we're a blessed people. But we're also a blessed people because the Bible says, so we're going to read this in a second, that we're automatically blessed if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Notice Paul's talking past tense, not future tense. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul's trying to address a pauper attitude, P-A-U-P-E-R, versus a prince or a king attitude. There's a lot of believers walking around with a mindset as if you were at the bottom of the ladder instead of being a king or a queen. He's saying, you are blessed. You have all the resources and all the privileges of heaven, and you have access to them because you belong to God through Christ. I mean, what a wonderful, just stop there and just say, wow. Now, I don't know if you can fathom how many resources heaven has or how many privilege heaven offers us, but it's a lot. We can go into a lot of things that we have, forgiveness and peace and access to God and so many things that sometimes we take it for granted and we, we live sometimes absolutely bound with a mindset that I'm a pauper instead of a prince. We gotta get a prince attitude. We gotta get a princess attitude. We gotta get a king attitude. We gotta get a queen attitude. Sure, everything's not equal in life, but it's not. You know, you get uh, Michael Phelps. You know, in my day, you'd never have a swimmer making commercials and being an endorser of products. Now Michael Phelps is the latest one. He is, he's watching himself online, you know, and the computer's too slow. Go faster, faster. And they're talking about getting a new laptop. You know? I, don't, I forget what the product is. But the issue is, the issue is Michael Phelps, the greatest swimmer in, in Olympic history, and you can say, well, if I worked as hard as, I, as he did, I could obtain the same thing. And the answer is no, you can't. I could swim. Next 10 years, I'm dedicating to swimming because I want to equal Mike Phelps. That ain't going to happen. I'm not Mike Phelps. Mike Phelps has got, a, he's got a shoulder span and a back span and a hand as long as my leg. Genetically, he's been given something that God didn't give me. And when God gave him that, he gave him with that platform and influence and prosperity. That just isn't fair, God. I remember I, I grew up with someone with the same last name. His name was Scott McGregor. Kindergarten through 12th grade. We went through school together. I lived in the shadow my whole life. That's why I chose football over baseball. He was a tremendous pitcher. He was in Who's Who in Sports Illustrated at the age of 18. He was drafted by the Yankees, traded to the Orioles, all-star pitcher, World Series pitcher, had a really illustrious career with the Baltimore Orioles, and retired, became a Christian in his pro career, and we reunited back, this is probably about 1986, 87, and we kind of picked up where we left off back in 1972 when he was drafted into the pros. And uh, I was driving him to a church to speak at, give his testimony, and we were talking about baseball in our town and me, and, 
And he said, you know, Bob, when people are lined up and God was giving them baseball skills, he didn't give it to you. Now, it's hard enough to hear it from my wife. It's harder to hear it from a professional baseball player. You know what I'm saying? It's like the ultimate slam, you know, ultimate diss. But the fact is that I wasn't blessed genetically with some things, no matter how hard I would work. I mean, we love the movie Rudy, you know, Rudy, Rudy, but Rudy only played like 45 seconds of a game. Yeah, we love the guy, that what he did, but he, he could only go so far. Things are not equal, but we're blessed. I'm blessed. I've lived a blessed life. You're blessed. You've lived a blessed life because God did things uniquely for me. He didn't do for you, and the vice versa. And so we are incredibly blessed because we're his kids. Now, let's just talk, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, blessed means this. Blessed means to be divinely favored, bringing happiness and thanksgiving as the result of that. To be favored means that there's acts of kindness done for us out of goodwill. And God, out of his goodwill towards you and I, over and over again, has brought great acts of kindness towards us. God, out of his goodwill, gives us preferential treatment because we belong to him. God gives us gifts. God does this all because of grace, not because of our merit, just his unmerited favor because he's a good God. Jesus said it this way, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God grows the ne your next door neighbor's crops who may be a complete non-believer just as much as he blesses your crops. Why? Because God is kind. You know, we've, we have fed a lot of people in this city. I can't begin to tell you the hundreds and thousands of dollars into the millions of dollars this church has ministered to this community. I remember one time we had one outreach. We had at least... We had at least 800 people, and we didn't organize it well. Everyone came at the same time. And I remember, you know, this place was like a can of sardines, just packed wall to wall, and stress level and anxiety, you know, what's this church all about? How am I going to get the things they said they're going to give to me? It was just like through the ceiling. This is when J.O. was here. And uh, I remember talking to the crowd right here. and said, hi, everybody, hi. And they're tense, and they're angry, they're upset, they, they, they're mystified, and and, uh, and we served them all, and it was a five-hour marathon. But I remember someone saying to me, Bob, don't you know, man, you just gave a bunch of groceries to a drug addict. I said, true. True. Oh, yeah, I know that one. True. That's absolutely right. I, I never saw where Jesus put stipulations on his acts of mercy. And it seemed to me that he showed acts of mercy to unworthy people. Seems to me he showed acts of mercy to unappreciative people. But we did have one guy come. His name was Chuck. He actually lived in a hole over by the freeway overpass on I-5 here in Hazeldale. He came up here to rip us off. But he was hit with such kindness that something blocked him from stealing from us. And he came to church. Then he got touched by the presence of God. Then he gave his life to Jesus. Then he went into drug rehab, and he became a drug counselor in the state of Oregon. Kindness. You never know what kindness is going to leave. God knows that. 
His goodness leads us to repentance. His kindness draws us to himself. We are blessed with it. We are favored with God's goodness that leads to happiness and that leads to thanksgiving. So what does it mean to bless? When you say, I bless you, or God, would you bless that person, or may God bless you, you're actually requesting God to bring his favor on your life. Now, if we should do that more often, James said it this way, how can we bless God and at the same time, out of the same mouth, curse man who's made in his image? We're to speak blessing. May the Lord favor you. May he show his kindness to you. May he show his undeserving grace to you. That's a lot better than saying, loser. You're this, you're that. Blessing. Blessing. Jesus said, if they, if they persecute you, bless them. He said, bless those who have an agenda to hurt you. May God favor you. Oh, you just hit me in the mouth. May God favor you. May God show his kindness to you. I know it's not very John Wayne-ish. I know it doesn't work well in Rambo, one, two, or three. <laughs> but we're asking God to bring his favor as he has on us. Now, how are we blessed? Help me out with my sermon here. I want you to raise your hand. I'll call on you and just shout out how we are blessed. Maybe you. How, how are you blessed? I'm going to make you think for yourself today. Just shout out. Share it with us here. Wave your hand. Back there. You're blessed because we live in America. Absolutely. A family who cares about you. House, job, wife, and Pastor Bob. Jerry, you don't have to give tithes for two months. <laughs> Completely exonerated from tithing. Someone else back there. Health. You're always complaining. God didn't heal me. How about I didn't get sick? We just we're healthy. You know the average lifespan in Tanzania is 42.3 years. Half of you'd be dead right now. Let's thank God for help. I know I'll do things to kind of shock you into reality, but, I, but it's true. I'm right. <laughs> he brought you out of a liturgical church and put you into a, a cool one, huh? <laughs> Lynn, that's good. That's good. Well, you love your job. He's blessed you with a job. Excellent. So someone compared our church to a biker family. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah, I've never been a part of a biker family. That could be a real good thing, part of a biker family. Peggy, I want to hear from you. I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear, hear it. Oh, for every day you live, every day. You're just thankful for every day you get up. That's powerful. We had someone right there. Someone else had their hand up right there? That they did. Okay. Boom. Yes. Children who love the Lord. That is a great blessing. All right, back there, Kelly. Forgiven, restored, and set free. Forgiven, restored, and set free. Just, just feels so good, doesn't it? Just feels so 
good. Emily? Joy in spite of your circumstances. Someone else had their hand up. Okay, Ben? Ministry and purpose. You know, my wife was just shaken by your testimony up here. I mean, you guys rocked her. I mean, Sandy, did I call on you? You're rich in friends. Man, don't ever take it, Jacob. An education. You know, that's not... I'll tell you a story. We were in Kenya, went to a school... No lights, a hole in the wall made of mud with sewer water all around it. These kids are all cramped in, probably 10 to a bench with a little workbook studying physics. One of them, they studied for hours, one of them had a chance to get to Nairobi University, University of Nairobi. One. Education. What a blessing. My husband. Oh, your husband. Amen. Greg, man, you... You're doing good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, John. A wonderful wife and a baby. Excellent. God bless you guys. And when's the baby due? January 14th. January 14th is coming. That's great. Exciting. Little Johnny. You guys know if it's a Johnny or a Jeanette? It's a what? It's a girl. What are you naming it? Annie. A little Annie coming. Ann? What's that? Yeah, you were just telling me that. 16 years ago, was it? 16 years ago, she was in hospice. That's a, that's a give the Lord a praise. Yeah. All right. Made my point a little bit here. You helped me with my sermon. Now, what should our response be to this blessing? I want to give you three things, and we'll wrap this up here. First is a focus on God. What I mean by a focus on God, we need to stop and think. Just kind of stop and think. We just move so fast doing the things we all do and just stop to think where and from whom everything we receive comes from. Just to stop and think about that. Paul said this. He says, for who sees anything different in you? In other words, why are you so special? He's talking about the great treasures of God in us in these clay vessels, not us. Why are you so special? Why, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, you didn't work it yourself. It came from outside of you. You received it. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know, someone would say, well, Bob, I still have to get up and go to work. I have to get up and study. I have to go do this. I, yes, understood. But you, who gave you the IQ to study and who gave you the physical ability to work and the aptitude to work and the open door to go do that? I mean, this thing is, we, what have we got that we have not received? We received it all. You know, we... Um, Sometimes man thinks that his health and his success and his promotion and his provision and abilities comes just because of who he is and what he's done and his cleverness and his efforts and everything else. I remember seeing this video on one of the top master CrossFit athletes in the world. Guy's like in his 70s and he places like in the top five in the world. Now, if you don't understand what that's all about, that's an incredible physical fitness feat. 
but he's a cancer survivor. I remember seeing him interviewed on, on video, and he, he says, I got cancer. I thought with all this exercise and everything that I do, you know, I would, would never get cancer. Now, what would that tell me about him is if I do this, I do this, I do this, I don't have these bad things happen to me. Sometimes, even if we've never had those things happen to us, we don't even think that maybe God himself preserved us. It wasn't just because of stewardship. And there's a place for stewardship. I understand that. But we never stop to think. Evolutionists would have us believe that we are the outcome of random activity. Somehow, uh, the cosmos has always existed. And in the, uh, in the cosmos, by chance, collisions took place. And by chance, out of those collisions, you become the masterpiece of that random activity, and you are the controller of your own fate. That is a philosophical presupposition. Somehow it's easier for us to believe that we're an accident rather than intentionally created. It just seems to be easier for us. Somehow it's easier for us to think that we're just left to ourselves rather than God helping us and watching over us. Now what's interesting is when I talk to people, because I get these questions all the time when I'm, people just are starting to be interested in God, they asked me this question, and you have, we've probably had this asked you. Well, who created God? In other words, what they're saying is, I'm, I wrestle with the concept of eternity. That concept. Well, I appreciate you wrestling with it, but I want to show you that you actually believe it. Because there's only three possible explanations for the origin of time. The first is called Nothing, Nothing. Now, Bob, where'd you get this? I got this from Francis Schaeffer's book, God Who is Silent, God Who is There and is Not Silent. And Francis Schaeffer says three possible explanations for the origin of time. First is Nothing, Nothing. That There was a time when we didn't have atomic matter. There was a time there was no atomic dust particles. There was a time there was no energy, no force, no nothing. Out of nothing came energy. Out of nothing came the building blocks of the universe. Out of nothing. Now, there's not an atheistic, evolutionary, or creationist philosopher who believes that. So no one buys into that. Well, you only have two more boxes left. Option two is what Carl Sagan, the famous evolutionist, said, the cosmos is all there ever was and all there ever is. In other words, there is a universe in some foundational makeup that has always existed. And out of its random activity come you and I. Now, they adhere to the belief that something can be eternal. Your third option, and your only other option, is that there was an intelligent being who always was. And out of that came creation. Door number one, door number two, door number three. No one believes door number one. We're stuck that we all believe in the concept of eternity, but somehow we would choose non-intelligent eternity to intelligent eternity. We would choose random activity over design. Paul said it this way, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. 
He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools or foolish or silly and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Somehow man chooses not to recognize God. So the first thing we need to do with our blessing is we just need to stop and focus on where that blessings come from, which would lead to the second thing that we would do, and that would be to offer up worship with thanksgiving. You know, thanksgiving is the language of recognition. Thanksgiving is the language of, of basically giving credit where credit is due. Thanksgiving is the humble language of appreciation. So Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice this. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what would be worship without thanksgiving? What would it be, you know? I praise you. I praise you. It just, it, it's incongruous. It, it, it doesn't work. Worship only works with thanksgiving. Worship only works with recognition. Worship only works with gratitude. And lastly, we worship, we, we respond to this blessing by service out of gratitude. When everything comes from him, and we recognize that and we appreciate that, what else can we do but serve him? This is what Paul's thought is in Romans chapter 12 after he lays out the whole plan of salvation and how we receive everything from God by his unmerited favor, by faith in what, we, what Christ did for us. Paul says, what are we going to do with this? And he says these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's the normal thing to do when you just are overwhelmed in gratitude for who God is and what he's done and what he's bestowed on you. Thanksgiving, let's, let's just stop and focus. Let's just stop and give thanks and gratitude. And let's just stop to evaluate how am I serving out of appreciation the one who has given me all these things. Let's stand to our feet. Worship team, come on up.